Welcome to the Revenue Engine Podcast. I'm your host, Rosalind Santa Elena, and I am thrilled to bring you the most inspirational stories from revenue generators, innovators, and disruptors, revenue leaders in sales, in marketing, and of course, in operations. Together, we will unpack everything that optimizes and powers the revenue engine. Are you ready? Let's get to it. Nicholas Vandenberg, or Nikolai Vandenberg in my rudimentary French, has a long entrepreneurial career. At an early age, he was already selling newspapers in his hometown of Paris, and prior to his current two, yes, two, companies, he already sold three tech companies and ran sales for a multi-billion dollar telecom company. Nikolai is currently the CEO and co-founder of Chili Piper and of CosmoTime. In the latest episode of the Revenue Engine podcast, Nikolai shares how he and his co-founder Alina initially underestimated the importance of meetings in the revenue process and shares the backstory of Chili Piper. He also shares how trying to solve a personal challenge led to the founding of CosmoTime and so much more. So please take a listen to this amazing discussion with a true visionary and learn how he stays ahead of the game, continues to innovate, and builds a winning culture. So super excited to be here today with Nicholas Vandenberg, the CEO and co-founder of Chili Piper and of Cosmo Time. Chili Piper is the most advanced routing and scheduling software for B2B revenue teams. Chili Piper helps teams convert more leads into meetings, book more demos faster, and drive more value with customers. And CosmoTime is a smart calendar for time blocking and focused work. So welcome, Nicholas, and thank you for joining me. Great. Thanks for having me. So you've had just an amazing career long before Chili Piper. <laughs> um, before we dive into Chili Piper, can you walk us through your journey you know, as a founder of multiple companies? And I also saw you were a guest lecturer at Stanford. Yeah, um, so I'll, I'll go back to my childhood. I grew up in the south of France, um, and then I went to school in Paris. And I always had a lot of ideas of things I wanted to do, but... Um, I was not exposed to the concept of uh, entrepreneurship. Um, so finally, I decided that I wanted to travel some more, and I um, went to Stanford Business School. And when I got there, um, one of my classmates, Steve Jefferson, who is now a famous VC, uh, invited Steve Jobs very early on. So I had been three weeks on campus, and uh, we <laughs> sat down, and Steve Jobs came to talk to us. Um, at the time, he was doing a company called Next, and the joke was that it was going next to nowhere because he was, he was actually <laughs> struggling with that company. But yet, <laughs> it, 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 yet it was so inspiring that uh, I looked at him and said, this is what I want to do when I grow up. I want to be a tech entrepreneur. I want to create things, invent things, and try to get millions of people to use what I do. So that was that, that revelation that came to me uh, at Stanford. And ever since, I've, I've this impetus to to uh, create companies and more recently um, I got back in touch with Stanford Business School and tried to uh, give back so share my experience I mean obviously 
I doubt that I'll inspire students the way Steve Jobs inspired me. <laughs> but but if I can uh, <laughs> contribute a little, get the people interested, and uh, you know, sh sh share the lessons I've learned in my different companies, um, that's what I'm trying to do. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that's so great to give back, and I'm sure I'm sure you've impacted a number of folks. I'm sure people have listened to you talk about your companies and have also been inspired. Hopefully. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about what led you to starting Chili Piper. You know, I read your story about how you and Alina initially underestimated sort of the importance of meetings in the revenue process. So can you share a little bit more about that backstory um, and how Chili Piper really came to be? Yes, very much so. So um, there's more to uh, Chili Piper, actually. Um, usually companies start on an idea or solving a problem. In this case, uh, I call it a thesis company. So it wasn't that we identified a particular problem. We had the thesis that uh, there would be a new wave of software um, that was going to change the way salespeople do their job. Mm -hmm. And the reason we thought of that, we came at it from two angles. So I was running a sales team for a friend in a telecom company. And uh, my reps were reluctant to use Salesforce. They didn't want to do it. They wanted to use... Uh, their own things, they, so Salesforce was never up to date. And at the same time, Alina was running a, a product at Pearson, the running company, building apps, and she had this um, incredible level of adoption on the apps. And so we look at the two together, right? These new apps where kids love, I mean, you have to like, pay them to get off the app. Like <laughs> if I look at my daughters, right? I have to bribe them to get off their phone. And on the other side, the salespeople, where you, you had to pay them, bribe them <laughs> to get on the app. And so Alina and I thought, um, this is um, going to change. I mean, somebody's going to crack it and build up that, that people love, uh, professional people love. And so actually, Alina thought we should go to the entire enterprise market. And, and I was out of sales. I, I started earning money when I was... Uh, kids selling newspapers so i was at affinity for salespeople and said let's focus on salespeople so that's mm -hmm. how we started and um, then the next question is well where, where exactly do we, what problem do we solve right and that's what gets started and the, the 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 thing that few people know is that we actually started with another uh, idea along the this thesis of helping salespeople that was very um natural to me after my experience with salespeople, they refuse to update Salesforce. So I thought I'm going to build a cloud solution that, that does it for them, that mm -hmm. goes into their email, they contact their meetings and automatically update Salesforce. So I built that. Um, it was called uh, Automatic Sync because it would sync automatically, I think. And uh, I actually started that before um, Alina joined and that started working and then uh, it turned out that two competitors, one called Implicit and one called ReadIQ, and Salesforce uh, decided to buy both of my competitors. Oh. So uh, <laughs> VP, uh, VP paid 30, 20 to 30 million for Implicit um, in this range. And then Mark Benioff spent 400 million to acquire ReadIQ. So that, that was interesting because, you, you know, it, it's a very violent way to get validated in your idea, right? So it's look, the idea was right, but it's so <laughs> right that Salesforce paid this money. So then, then there was obviously moments of doubt. So what do we do? Um, one of my angel investors uh, um, 
reached out to me and said, Nicola, you cannot assume that Salesforce is going to scrub 420 million worth of acquisition, right? They, they have to make it work. So you're dead. So that's when Alina joined and we, we thought, okay, do we give up or do we find another angle? And of mm -hmm. course, we decided to find another angle. And you, you mentioned that we didn't realize that, that uh, meetings were so important. Um, the way it happened is that uh, we were already in touch with a few uh, companies and one of them called Five Stars came to us with this problem of um, sales development teams booking meetings for account executives. So that handoff process. And uh, they told us, look, um, it takes them seven minutes to book a meeting because they're supposed to run Robin these meetings to be fair. And sometimes uh, they don't know who's next. Some other time they do know who's next, but they cheat because they give it to their friends. So, <laughs> so it, it's a problem. And uh, with Alina, Alina thought, you know, here I, I was building system for like one billion dollar system for the uh, LA County uh, you know, Education Board, and you want me to solve that little problem. So it's a little narrow problem. So that, that's where you heard that we, we didn't realize it was so, such, such an important piece, but we thought we have to start somewhere. So we built that and we went business and we bootstrapped and we, we, we had five stars prepay for the solution. And then we had the greenhouse in New York, the ATS company um, uh, buy our solution. And, and next thing we, we went business. So we had this grand vision of transforming the world of sales in a very narrow entry point in, 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 in uh, automating a little pain point in the, in the, in the process. And then what we found out is that there's a lot of issues around meetings and booking meetings and, and, mm -hmm. and uh, what needs to happen before and after a meeting. Um, so that gave um, really um, the foundation that we could build on for Chili Pepper. And that's what we've been doing. Got it. Wow, that's an amazing story. Especially, I didn't know the backstory about the other two companies. It's you know, you just have a you obviously have a natural knack for you know. You said you love sales and wanting to help salespeople. You obviously know where their pain points are. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I wish I was also more prescient about competitive move. If I guess that Salesforce was going to buy people, but uh, but it worked out well. It worked out well. Yeah. That's great. Um, so you started um, Chili Piper back in 2016, I believe, and That's you talked right. about this sort of this thesis of helping people and solving problems. So how has your, I guess, your vision for the company changed, if at all, like over the past four to five years? And I think you touched on this a little bit because you talked about sort of the small problem and it's become, you know, it's you started out with a, sort of that small problem and it's actually much, much larger, I think, in size than you probably anticipated. But how has your vision changed, if at all? Yeah, so uh, again, we start with this large thesis that we're going to innovate in that space and uh, and we discover uh, um, problems go along. So one of the things that surprised us, and I know that's one of the things you were curious, so what, what, what surprised us um, is that some processes are badly broken and yet continue existing. So mm -hmm. the way uh, we were in 2016, uh, we were, as I mentioned, s selling our solution to automate the handoff between sales development reps and account executives. And um, we were talking to some of these sales development reps and I said, what do you do? And I said, I'm an inbound SDR. <clears throat> and I said, what does an inbound SDR uh, do for a living? And I said, well, you see, when people come to our website and they want to talk to sales, they submit a form 
and they get a thank you page. Thank you, somebody's going to call you. Well, I'm that somebody who's going to call them. I say, all right, and how is that going? He said, it's going great. I'm converting at 40%. And I heard that over and over. It's going great. I'm converting at 40%. And I thought, you mean to tell me that 60 out of 100 people asked for a meeting and didn't get the meeting, mm -hmm. right? And that seems completely crazy. And to these days, this company is continuing the, along these lines. I've had some uh, chief revenue officers tell me, I don't want to touch it. I'm converting at 40%. The reason why they kept that is because they compared that to outbound, where you, when you call somebody, you, you convert at two percent or three percent or four four percent. So forty percent was great, but if you look at it independently, you think this is insane. These people have yeah. asked for a meeting, and you you have you've lost sixty of them. So that's the product we launched. Um, it's called Concierge, and upon a submission of a form, I want to talk to somebody. We in real time have software, qualify the prospect, route, retrieve the calendar, and book. And that now uh, takes uh, just a few seconds for the prospect to, to book. And as a result, that conversion rate goes up now to 80% because very few yeah. of them actually, very few prospects they don't book. And then we send reminders to make sure that they attend the meeting. So that's been a super surprise. Well, the double surprise was A, that it still exists, and B, that some companies, even though they are aware of the existence of concierge, continue doing, going with this uh, um, broken process. Um, so, so going back to your question, uh, how, how the um, just the vision has has my, it changed? Yeah, the vision has changed. Um, the vision, the grand vision, doesn't change itself because we we all along wanted to build cool solutions for 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 revenue teams. Um, but for sure, we didn't expect to find so much depth around these processes around meetings. Uh, mm -hmm. We we expected to do more things around emails uh you know there's a lot of things like things around cadences and that we, we had a lot of ideas of things that could be done around emails but we've naturally uh, been driven to to this uh, issue of calendaring and meeting and and now we're finding so much depth in in uh, around meet, we call it meeting life cycle automation so all the things that should happen before and after the meetings that includes routing that includes uh, qualifying that includes uh, updating the crm and everything around calendar so that that's something that's changed for sure. If you had told me four years ago you're going to be so focused on meeting life cycle automation, I would have thought that doesn't seem deep enough. In general, it is very deep, and there's a lot to do. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I love that that forty percent conversion rate. It sounds great compared to an outbound rate, but forty percent. You would think a hundred percent of folks who actually ask for a meeting would attend or would want a meeting. Maybe they can't attend that first one, but definitely eighty percent sounds much more much more reasonable. Um, so just this past year, you raised your Series B, $33 million. Congratulations. Thank you. Amazing. Um, so what are some of the things that you think that you've really done right that have really helped drive revenue and really have helped the company be successful and get to this point? Yeah, so something that uh, we've done right, I think it is... Uh, scaling when the time is right. So um, we work with sales teams a lot and what we see uh, very often is um, company over hiring and then having layoffs because the things are not working anymore. And we see that yeah. very frequently. Um, and, and we've probably because we bootstrapped, we, we, we always made sure that um, we were on solid foundations before scaling something. And that played out uh, very strongly for us when COVID happened uh, last year. So, uh, you know, it was around February, March when everybody started freaking out. 
Sequoia. <laughs> I, I've been public about that memo from Sequoia. I think Sequoia, the, the venture capital firm, did a disservice to the entire industry by publishing uh, this memo saying, oh, it's back to like 2009. Uh, it's a disaster. It's going to be uh, a nuclear winter or nuclear year. You need to, in a sense, they, they said you should just cut your staff and, and, lay, and have layoffs. Mm-hmm. And here we are. And so some of our investors came to us and say, you have to have layoffs, you have to cut. You know. And Alina and I thought, you know what? Uh, we have no evidence that we need to do that. We have strong mm-hmm. foundations. We have some strong customers. Yes, we understand that some companies like, uh, we had a company called Remote Year around traveling around the world for a year. And obviously that company uh, struggled in, in yeah. COVID. Uh, but other companies continued prospering. And so um, because we had consistently been on strong foundations, we said we're not going to touch anybody. We, we're going to continue uh, the business. We, we prepared and make sure that we were in a strong enough cash position and, and we continue. And that worked beautifully. So we, we continued growing through last year. Uh, we did our air run last year and then be around, like you mentioned, this year. And um, uh, I can see that now we have the foundations in place to um, grow even faster mm-hmm. because every piece has been, you know, we've, we've really iterated on the different components of the business before we find the right solution and then scale it. That's really great advice. I think that's really great advice for the audience. Um, so. So you're really well known, right, as the CEO of Chili Piper. And I think for a lot of these other companies that you've also helped with successful exits, but I'm not sure how many folks are aware that you're also, <laughs> at the same time, the CEO and co-founder of Cosmo Time. So uh, can you share a little bit about, I guess, how Cosmo Time came to be? And how do you actually manage and juggle both roles, being a CEO at two different companies? Yeah, that's a bit ironic because... because um... <laughs> I was finding myself um, too busy at uh, Chili Pepper, so struggling to to be effective with my time. And <laughs> the solution I found was to spend more time on something else. So it's a bit ironic, but but uh, um, I looked at how can I, as we grew, uh, as I said, I was struggling to to remain productive, and I looked at the tools that would help me be more productive, and I didn't find the tools that worked for me and we came up with some ideas of a better way to to organize time and task management and so uh, since nobody was doing it we thought okay we're going to build these tools and we said <laughs> we, we, we have to go and do it and we thought about building that at chili pepper but it was a very different uh, problem right so chili pepper we're around meeting life cycle external meetings life cycle automation this was more of a tools for all professionals so that's why we decided to, to start a separate company. And because the company was designed to help me manage my time and my task, it actually, uh, it's actually <laughs> a kind of self-referential where I'm actually using the tools to, uh, to manage uh, these, bo- these two jobs. And this works really well. It has worked really well. I mean, uh, Cosmo Time is definitely um, uh, the right solution for me. Um, it helps me block time for certain tasks. It helps me focus. Um, I should add that um, I understood very late in life that uh, I'm one of these people who have ADHD, so I have a hard time focusing on my attention. Um, it, it, it's a friend of mine who told me like uh, just a few years back, and it was like a, 
light bulb went up and thinking, yes, you're right. That's what happened. You know, that's why I couldn't focus when I was a student. So Cosmotype helps focus. It, it, it closed, closes tabs when you're working on something and reopen them at the end. It does the things. So, um, it's really helping me managing these two, uh, these two, um, companies. I must say also that, uh, Building companies, building software is my passion. So when, when, um, you know, some people, uh, for example, I haven't watched TV in about two years. Right. So people all talk about these new shows, say, Oh, that's amazing. This Netflix show is, so I haven't watched any of them because, <laughs> because if I, if I have time on a Saturday afternoon or, or an evening, I would rather uh, spend time on Cosmo time, uh, thinking about the go to market strategy than watch a TV show. So yeah. not everybody, not everybody is like me, um, but that's my passion. So I, I find it very um, enjoyable, actually. That's a super interesting story. I love that you were having a hard time managing your time and decided to go start another company to solve your problem. <laughs> that's right, exactly. <laughs> I love that. Um, so let's shift gears a little bit and let's talk about customers, right? Because customers, you know, you see a lot of companies talking about customer first, right? Quite a bit, especially after a year like 2020, where, you know, customer retention became even more critical than ever before. Um, can you share a little bit about, you know, what is your philosophy when it comes to customers? And, you know, because we're all, we are talking about kind of generating more revenue. Like how has that helped you really accelerate your revenue? Yeah, so we started, uh from day one with a very unusual uh, policy we decided we'd give no discount same price for everybody um and that came from the idea that uh, we didn't know who should give a discount to right so if you're a small company should give a discount because you're in the money or your big company a discount because you're big or mid-market company discount <laughs> because you, you ask for it <laughs> and so, so very on we had this philosophy to say we're going to serve all our customers equally, and that was that was a not obvious, right? Because there's a lot of companies have support um, tiers for different level of support, and and yeah. Alina was adamant that uh, we should have all our customers be happy, um, and not have tiers as who pay more are happy, but those who pay less are not happy, and that has. Um, work really well because uh, it turned out that in our space we booking meetings so people our customers send uh, you know meeting invites from chili pepper so they export to other customers and making sure that everybody's happy from the smallest to the largest customer is um, critical in our brand and reputation so we've had the things mm -hmm. now the, the um, other aspects to it is um, uh, sometimes we perceive it as uh, inflexible because we don't do discounts, right? So, mm. so people can just. But our, our view is that uh, we really focus on bringing value, right? And um, the value is there, and and uh, it's easy to justify that you could spend this money on chili paper based on the return on investment, and therefore there should be no no need for a discount. So that, that has been a, one of the philosophies that's unusual. The other pieces are more traditional. I mean, obviously, we, we have a customer success team, making sure that our customers are successful. Um, we have a very high level of uh, net revenue retention because very often companies start with one department with Chili Paper and extend to another mm -hmm. department. So, for example, they have their uh, website uh, using concierge to book meetings, and then they have a customer support team also using Chili Paper to book their meetings. So that, that has worked really well um we also um 
so you say customer first and and when I hear that I've actually written a memo that said that customer is not always first. Um, that was an interesting uh, situation last year where um, one of our customer facing rep um, changes to, to put plainly, he, he decided that he would have a nose piercing, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, some people in our team were concerned that a particular customer was going to be offended by that and, and find it inappropriate. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a bit of a dilemma. So do we tell that gentleman to remove his nose piercing or, or do we deal with an unhappy customer? <laughs> And in that case, I made the very clear decision to say everybody should be free to uh, dress as they want and behave and, and appear as they want. Mm -hmm. And if the customer is wrong, and as a result, we are not going to put the customer first and say we're going to uh, tell our employee to do something that is not right. So we made the decision said if we if, if the customers cannot accept it, we'll try to educate them and say look, I think you have the wrong attitude. But if if, if it's not solvable, then we'll give up a customer before telling your employees to do something that is not right. So that that was an interesting moment because I realized that uh, you know our employees, we we are not uh, as a company, um, we are not just at the service of shareholders and we are not just at the at the mercy of uh, the you know, whims of uh, customers, really trying to um, build an organization that brings value to all stakeholders. So we want our mm -hmm. employees to be happy. Of course, we want to make money to our investors, but we, we want our customers to be find value from what we do. But it's a full equi equilibrium. So, yeah. um, so actually, I wouldn't say that we... I mean, obviously, we care about our customers a lot, but I wouldn't say that we customer first because I would imply it's a bit like, you know, I have a daughter who says, am I, am I your favorite daughter? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a favorite daughter. So I don't know that I should favor my customers over my employees. I think we all trying to um, do what's best for everybody and live in equilibrium. I love that. I love that so much. Thank you for sharing that story. And um, I have I have three kids, and they always ask too, who's the favorite? They they assume <laughs> they assume they're the favorite. They always say my your favorite son, your favorite. And I only have one daughter, but so so it's easy. She can be my favorite daughter, but I have two sons. So. <laughs> That's right. You can segment, and then the favorite of something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, so I love that story. So thank you for sharing that. Um, so one of your company's values is innovate. Right, I saw that. So within this value, you talk about wanting to be different and wanting to come up with new angles on existing problems. Yeah. What are what are some of the ways that you sort of stay ahead of the game, right, and continue to kind of keep that innovate mindset? We are um, all remote um, as a company, uh, so we, we've uh, we've had to invent some tools that work well for a distributed company. Mm -hmm. And some of these tools are particularly favorable to innovation. So we have a very uh, inclusive way to uh, make decisions. So um, the way we do it is uh, inspired by uh, Jeff Bezos at uh, Amazon. So Jeff Bezos, um, in the early days of Amazon, decided that he would ban PowerPoint from meetings. And everybody who would come to a meeting would have to write a six-page memo. 
So instead of doing slides, this is what we should do. You would write a memo and then people would read the memo at the beginning of the meeting and then comment on the memo. So we started doing that because we distributed, we put these memos online on Google Doc. And then some of the attendees said, can we have it ahead of time instead of being a meeting? So we started reading these uh, meeting, these memos ahead of time. And on Google Doc, of course, you can comment. Mm -hmm. So people started commenting on the memo. And then we found that we actually didn't need a meeting because all the discussion was already happening on the, on the Google Doc. <laughs> and, and we thought it was so brilliant that we generalized the use of that. So we, we have decision memo and we share them Every more we share with, it, with the entire company. So by default, everything is shared with them. Whatever decision we have to make on pricing, on hiring, and um, we share that with the entire company. And what we found is that that, that brings a lot of ideas. Uh, you know, so it, it helps with um, involvement, getting people involved, and it helps with generating ideas. So as a result, a lot of ideas that come up, and we uh, always put them through the filter of the decision memo. So a new idea will come from a particular memo, then another memo will say, okay, let's let's decide what to do. And um, and whenever something seems uh, promising, then we're not we're not afraid of uh, exploring it. So we've had actually products with, that we build go in alpha version, get people on, and then pull out and say, no, it's not working as we wanted. So we, we've had this culture of exploring and involving people, and, and that's working really well. So we um, constantly try new ideas, come up with new products, extend what we do, uh, you know, and, and explore how things could work. And by now, it's, it's become, it has become second nature um, in the company. Oh, I, the, 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 I, I would say also the whoever culture where being wrong doesn't matter. So one of the things we have done recently with decision memo is the uh, contrarian club. So the contrarian club is that if in general decision memo um, brings a consensus because when things are clearly explained in general, most people agree, but occasionally some people will disagree. Mm -hmm. And in general, when too many people disagree, then we don't make the decision. We say, obviously, we don't have enough data because there's opposite views on, on how it should become. It's never a vote, but but it's um, we do take into a complete degree. So recently, I thought, okay, you know, I, if I'm going to overrule somebody, maybe that person was wrong. Maybe the person was right. So we have this thing that if the person, the person can just log into the uh, contrarian book <laughs> uh, that they were wrong. And if you turn out a few months later, because down the road we always find out, right? So we actually do something to find out. Yeah. Then they'll get, they'll get a thousand dollars and a, a, and a <laughs> public recognition for having, having, having me right back at the time <laughs> when we made a wrong decision. Um, <laughs> so that's the process. And, you know, we, we just want to encourage different points of view and different ideas. And, and that just um, is the source of innovation. One of the enablement of the innovation. Yeah, oh, I love that. Have you had to give away a lot of thousand dollars yet? Uh, and so, somebody <laughs> asked ask, ask me ask, ask me yesterday the first thousand dollars, but it, 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 it wasn't clear cut. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great! Well, I love that idea. 
Um, I guess along some of those same lines of innovation, right? I mean, Chili Piper obviously makes it so easy to book a meeting and everything is integrated. And, you know, there's so much, you know, as you mentioned, um, so much more in this area to be developed. Um, what do you see sort of in terms of where the market is headed, you know, not with calendaring, with scheduling and sort of with the software um, around what you're doing? Yeah, the, um, clearly the, the trend is to... Um... As I, as I um, mentioned, go deeper around what should happen before and after the meeting. So that's what I call the meeting lifecycle automation. Um, all the other players are going the same way. There's a lot more that can be done. I mean, the obvious thing to do was scheduling. So you send a link to schedule, but then you find out that before scheduling, you, you need to qualify, you need to route. After scheduling, you need to follow up, you need to send... send um, you know, maybe a, a recap of what has happened. So, so that that's where where we see um, a lot of innovation in what we do um, around this meeting lifecycle automation. And uh, the products are getting more and more. Um, so, for example, uh, we um, about to launch a solution to book meetings at in-person events. So in-person events, you know, uh, had disappeared. Now they come back, come back with a vengeance. Everybody's saying, we need to do it in person over there. Well, when you meet in person, you have the additional issue of a, at a trade show of the meeting rooms uh, or replacing one person with another and so on. So we, we're doing things that are more, um, the market is going towards solutions that are, that are a lot more detailed by use case. So a lot more automation around what should happen before and after. And that's what we're working on. And so we have a lot of uh, new products coming uh, for different use cases because, because we're finding that uh, at a high level, booking a meeting with a customer success rep is the same thing as booking, booking a meeting with an account executive. But when you get to the details of what should happen, then it still has all the same, right? Uh, the, the customer success rep um, as a customer success software behind the scene that should be updated. Uh, maybe there's some uh, meeting type that should be held that you want to keep track of where the account executives maybe want to include somebody else in the meetings. So it's a multi-party meeting. So that's a crit critical aspect of an account executives. So the use cases, when you go deeper, uh, actually quite different and, and need different software solutions. Mm -hmm. Got it. Got it. Thank you. So as I think about, you know, really the revenue engine in this podcast, I always hope that others will be able to learn how to accelerate revenue growth and really power that revenue engine. And I think you've shared a lot of great, great advice and good um, expertise here that folks can really take away and learn something. But what I'd like to know is, you know, kind of from your perspective, like what are the, you know, top maybe two or three things that you think all CEOs should be thinking about right now to accelerate revenue? Uh for, for, for sure, something that uh, works uh, well is segmentation and focus. So it would be the, 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 the first thing. Uh, now at Paper, as I mentioned, we, we're getting more specialized by type of persona. Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and, we, and so we, we, we're finding the segmenting and understanding better each case. Because nowadays, uh, there are more and more uh, software solutions, right? So if you look at the MarTech landscape, it used to be that there were 500 solutions in MarTech, then there were 800 solutions in MarTech. Now I don't keep count, I think it's more than <laughs> 1,000. So every, every problem is, is now a solution. So as a CEO, if you want to grow, you have to be stronger than all the other solutions. 
and you want to pick a persona and a use case where you're really uh, the strongest. So you really want to to uh, segment these use cases and understand where where you are best. Um, so that's uh, for sure the first thing. The second, of course, is to uh, keep ex exploring. Um, I've been um, um, striking by, by uh, what happened to us in our uh, sales development uh, effort, so outbound effort. Uh, we, we started and we're getting poor results. And you're looking for the magic wand that says, okay, we're doing it wrong. Uh, we're going to find the magic wand anyway. And what, uh, so we hired people with experience that they didn't make much difference. What I found in the end is that I keep trying and exploring, experimenting, experimenting. Eventually, it compounds and it starts working. And so I have found that in uh, in uh, all the disciplines, the same thing with uh, marketing. You know, eventually, you do something; it doesn't quite work, but you keep keep optimizing and optimizing and optimizing, and, and eventually, it gets to a point where it's viable and it starts working. Mm -hmm. So this is. Um, a bit counterintuitive because you say if you're the revenue engine, what tells CEOs that what secret they can find to grow all of a sudden. But over and over, I find that uh, there's no secret weapon. It's just a matter of keeping focus and, and doing more and more and more things. And, and the compounding effect, I think it's uh, one Buffett uh, that, that talks very often about the compounding effect. The fact that you know, a twenty percent improvement uh, every month uh, will end up taking mm. you very far, right? So that, that's the thing that, uh, that I'm finding that um, you want to stay focused and, and, and keep improving um, our SDRs now I, I doing incredible, uh, getting incredible results. Uh, and it looks like all of a sudden it's happening, but it's been three years into the work <laughs> where, where we, 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 we've optimized. Um, so there's no, there's no uh, secret uh, weapon, but there is a discipline that, that, would take them will take every company to uh, hyper growth that's great thank you for sharing that um so is there anything that you know maybe you wish that you knew earlier or maybe you might do differently if you could go back and you know do it all over again along the lines of what i just mentioned this uh, effect of compounding because uh when we started the the, the company that the use case that i mentioned um we Expected to be just a small start, and and what what happened is that um, if you stay focused on something and you keep working on it, um, it actually gets much bigger than you would expect. So uh, mm. this has happened to us at Chili Pepper when when we launched that concierge product. So it, it, it worked both ways. Um, when we did our first product, I didn't believe it was going to be big enough. Um, so we, with Alina, we kept looking for other products as first products as an opportunity. And it turned out it was much bigger than we expected. Yeah. Then we did our second product. The opposite happened. We did this concierge. Uh, so for two book meetings in websites, right? I mentioned earlier that we co changed conversion rates from 40% to 80%. Right. Um, and so I thought this is a huge, it is a huge market. Uh, everybody should have it. It's, it's going to be enormous. But people on the outside didn't believe that. Uh, mm. So when we talk to VCs, um, we they would give us term sheet that we're way below what we were expecting. We're, we're cash positive, so we actually turned them down because he says, yeah, "I think you don't understand." And the same thing happened. Eventually, we kept growing. I kept growing, and eventually, you know, Tiger Global came and said, "You guys are doing amazing things. Uh, we're going to invest." <laughs> all, 
33 million in agreement, but we haven't changed anything. We've just done more of it. Uh, yeah. and, and, and so um, looking back uh, um, to your question, is there one thing you wish we had known? That's the thing I wish we had known. I wish that look, if, if you keep focused and you, and you do the same thing over, eventually, uh, you know, things will converge and, and, and you don't need to worry about it. You don't need to freak out or you just, you just stay, stay focused on, I mean, obviously you want to, uh, I often say you, you want to accept defeat in a battle very quickly mm. and just, and just never accept defeat in the war. Right. So you focus on the war, uh, the little things that may not work and that's okay to accept defeat quickly as long as you're really focused on the goal. So this, this aspect of uh, the, the power of compounding, the power of, of optimizing, optimizing, and where it takes you is, uh, is something very striking. I see some VCs also, uh, I look at other companies in, in our space. Uh, a lot of them couldn't get funding at the beginning because people thought the opportunity was too small. Mm. But then it turned out that, uh, you know, if, if, if you... Uh, nowadays, the potential number of users for every application is very large. Everybody's online, right? There are billions of people online. So in the end, if you keep working on a use case and, and make the right move, it will always work out to be, a, to be an interesting opportunity. And I wish I had understood that uh, earlier. And uh, if only for my peace of mind, it would have said, look, it's going to work anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's great advice. Thank you. So so th thank you again for joining me. I mean, it was just such a pleasure to chat with you. And I'm just so incredibly grateful for your time and sharing your story, your amazing backstory and your perspective with us. Um, before I let you go, though, there's one question I wanted, I would like to ask um, guests is, you know, what is the one thing that you want everyone to know about you? Yeah. So the one thing that uh, is unusual, but... Um... I'm a, an eternal optimist, and I'm a big believer in uh, in human beings. So, uh, Alina, my wife and co-founder, always tells me, uh, "Do you remember that bad thing that happened?" And I say, "No, I don't remember that." Uh, <laughs> I have this this special uh, gene where I, for, I for, maybe it's a gift uh, yeah. where I forget all the bad things that people do, the bad things that people do to me. I had that happen today actually. Actually, uh, one of our employees thing I was concerned that I. Had, uh, some 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 rant against her, and uh, I said to come. I'm always positive, <laughs> I, um, and so I hope that uh, it's something that uh, will benefit everybody at Chili Pepper internally, but I also want to take it to the outside. Right? I, I want to share my optimism with with other people. I see a lot of the. You know, especially around politics, you see these different parties attacking each other, criticizing each other in a very violent way. And um, to me, it, it, in 2021, it's madness that we would do that. Uh, I think that uh, I wish that people shared my uh, positive philosophy around human beings. And so that's my intent uh, to try to do my little piece on, on making the world a, a bit of a better place and a less violent place and more inclusive place. I love that. I love that so much. Thank you so much, Nikolai, for sharing and for just, you know, sharing your background and being on the podcast. I really appreciate your time um, and just all of the learnings. This has been an amazing, amazing discussion. Thank you, Rosaline. 